0: How's it going, A's fans? And welcome to episode 228 of the Locked On A's podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host, noted baseball fan Jason Burke. And on today's episode, the plan was to just answer mailbag questions today, but there is a new minor league rule change that I have to talk about first, and then I'm going to answer your questions. So I'm going to be talking about the A's bullpen configuration and who's going to be DHing against lefties, and that's all that I'm going to have time for in the mailbag today. But I'm going to have another mailbag on Monday because there was a lot of questions and I don't have enough time to get to them. Uh, they, they really want me to keep this to about 30 minutes. So I'm going to try and do that. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's what's on the docket for today. I got those two questions and the news that came out on Thursday. And I also want to let you guys know that uh, we have a new partnership with Locker Room, uh, the app Locker Room. It's a brand new app. It came out in like November, I believe, uh, as long as I'm remembering what I read correctly. And it is a way for us to like just talk and have, we can do mailbags or you guys could just like ask me in I've two questions and I can answer them there. Um, it I open up a room once a week, and uh, I could do a whole show there, and you guys could hear how much editing actually goes into this podcast, or, you know, we just have uh, fun talking about the A's and stuff like that, and maybe it could lead to future episodes. So, uh, download the Locker Room app, because I'm very excited to do this, and uh, y- you can follow me, I'm at ByJasonB in the Locker Room app, and uh, yeah, we're, we're going to be using that once a week through the whole season, so that's going to be a lot of fun, and uh, I'd, I'd like people to be in the room basically how the app works is uh the host of the room which would be me uh has the floor and then people can raise their hands you know th- there's like a button you can press and it's like oh i would like to speak now too and then i can be like okay now you can talk uh and it it's a rotating form of just having a nice ace conversation it seems like a lot of fun so that it's not just a bunch of people talking over each other like in a zoom call um so yeah it should be a very fun time I'm going to be getting my bearings the first couple of weeks, but uh, come in, join, join up. It's going to be fun. I, th- I think we're going to have a good time. I'm going to come up with some ways to go over it, like if there's breaking news, if there's a trade that happens, or we just want to talk about baseball in general, uh, that's going to be the place to do it. So should be a lot of fun, but uh, let's get into this episode. And before I do, please follow us on sh- social media, at Locked on, A's on Twitter and Instagram. I am at ByJasonB on Twitter. If you have any questions for us, please send those to LockedOnAthletics at gmail.com. But let's get right into these minor league rule changes. And let's start in AAA, where they're going to be using larger bases, going from 15 inches square to 18 inches square, which doesn't seem like a lot, but it's it's a little bit when you when you expand the base. So it's not going to be quite 90 feet anymore, which is going to be very hard to remember. But I guess we'll get used to it. Um, and the atten- the intent here is that. It's going to be limiting collisions and injuries. That's the first one. And then also, uh, Major League Baseball thinks that having bigger bases will lead to more base stealing, which is apparently a big thing with these rule changes that uh, they get into. Uh, This rule I'm okay with. And honestly, if they hadn't told us, we probably wouldn't have even really been able to tell that they increased the size of the bases. Unless you had them side by side, because three inches over the course of an entire base, not a ton. I don't think that I could pick out a, a one inch difference on either side of the bag on TV. Uh, they don't focus on the bags too often. I'm not gonna be like, hey, wait a second. I'm not like that guy on TikTok who will like measure how big a can is in your hand and then guesstimate how, how tall you are. I, I'm not that good. I'm not that uh, I'm not a baseball detective when it comes to that stuff. So um, I wouldn't have noticed if they hadn't told me. So I don't really care about this rule. If it leads to more stolen bases, whatever it if it leads to fewer collisions, which again, it, it's hard. hard. Hard to tell with the naked eye, so I don't know that it's going to happen, but sure, why not? Have at it, baseball. Um, Double A's rule change, though, is one that you've probably heard of by now, and that's the one that is trying to limit how teams shift. Uh, Per the memo Major League Baseball released, uh, quote, the defensive team must have a minimum of four players on the infield, each of whom must have both feet completely in front of the outer boundary of the infield dirt. Uh, basically that means that you got to have four infielders and they can't play on the grass, uh, which basically sounds like Rob Manfred yelling at the children who are playing baseball to stay off of his lawn. And, uh, it, it kind of is. That's, that's actually basically what they could have just said that as opposed to this legalese, uh, Get off my lawn and stop shifting is what he should have said. But uh, the memo also goes on to say that they may adjust this rule change uh, once they get some preliminary results and make it so that only two infielders can be on either side of second base, effectively banning the shift. You could play one guy pretty much straight up the middle and then have two guys to the to the right of second base to do what you do against lefties, but uh, you can't have three. And you can't have somebody playing on the outfield grass. And I think that that's really the big one for me. And I'm like, eh, sure, let's see how it goes. Um, there's a there's a few things going on here overall. And I'm fairly positive that this rule change is going to be the most closely watched in the minors this season. First off, if this rule change uh, makes it to the majors, is Matt Elson going to see a nice increase in batting average? Yes, he is. He is now an MVP candidate year after year because of all of those grounders that he hits into the shift, which wouldn't be, I mean, they probably still wouldn't. Be gobbled up but not the ones on the outfield grass and those are the ones that uh i think are detrimental to the game if you hit it in the gap or, you know in between two outfit or uh, infielders sure that's great but if there's a guy playing you know midway between second base and right field i don't think that that's okay that's stupid um personally that aesthetically i think that that's stupid you're like oh that's a nice base hit Oh, okay, sure, Um, I I think that those ones are dumb. And so in in that regard, sure, do this rule change, I guess. But at the same time, I really don't want Major League Baseball telling teams how they can and cannot compete, because this is how teams like the A's and the Rays uh, and, you know, other teams that don't want to spend money but can uh, go about making teams that are good without spending a ton of money. And I think that that could be a competitive disadvantage for teams like the A's and the Rays uh, in the long run. And they're trying to bring home runs back, but I don't think that that's necessarily a thing you gotta do. Uh, I'm gonna run through these other ones real quick, because I got a point to make at the end of this. So, moving on to high A ball with the new affiliate uh, Lansing, Uh, they're gonna be trying the new step off rule in which the pitcher must disengage with the rubber before throwing to any base. If a a pitcher fails to comply, then the umpire calls a bock. Sure, they, they really want steals, and I think that it's. Really, really silly. How many rules they are instituting to get a few more steals a year. Like, that's the most exciting play in baseball. No, give me an inside the park home run. That's what I want. I want inside the park home runs and guys getting thrown out at home plate. That's my most exciting place um, the other rule changes uh, that are happening are in the low minors or low a and uh, that is that the pitcher this is for all low a teams uh, the pitcher will be limited to a total of two step-offs or 2 pickoff attempts per plate appearance they also throw in a wrinkle that the pitcher can attempt a third step off or pickoff, but if the runner returns to the base safely then the pitcher gets called for a bog and the runner just gets to advance to the next base and i think that that's hilarious um This is increased to speed up the game, the rate of play, and I'm fine with that because I I really can't stand pick-off throws because they never lead to anything, literally ever. So uh, they're also expanding this a little bit in the Southeast uh, Low-A League, and that is that they are going to continue working with Roboomps, essentially working on their calibration so that the uh, zone is called consistently, and so... Sure, give me some robo-lumps. And then the low-A leagues in the West, they're adding pitch clocks to enforce time between pitches, but also to enforce time limits on pitching changes and innings changes. So uh, those are the main changes. Uh, I, I haven't formed whole opinions on most of these just because I'm like, yeah sure, let's see what happens. They're not necessarily on the brink of being in the majors yet. I don't need to have hard opinions for games that I'm not going to watch uh, for the most part. I'll, I'll watch a couple and see how it goes. But um, they, they're just not watch a bowl. Unless you live in the area, you can't watch a lot of these games because Major League Baseball, great at growing the game. Uh, But the thing that I really wanted to talk about here is if they want to increase, uh, you know, balls in play and steals and all these other things, then the one thing that they could do that would uh, do take care of all of this stuff without ruining the, you know, uh, enforcing shifts and doing all these other things that, you know, are controversial is enforcing a rule that's already on the books. And that's foreign substances. Pitchers should not be able to have foreign substances and increase their spin rates and how much their breaking ball goes and being able to control a breaking ball that goes 95 miles an hour, you know, 90 miles an hour, or whatever. Um, that shouldn't happen uh, generally unless they're like an elite pitcher, but now everybody can do it because they can use the sticky stuff on their hands, uh, which is why somebody from the angel system is uh, under litigation right now, I believe. Um, yeah, if, if you just instant enforce that rule, then everything else goes away. Guys aren't going to be able to throw their breaking balls a ridiculous amount. Hitters can catch up to fastballs. And if you're walking more guys, then more guys are on base. And then all of a sudden uh, you got more action and you get fewer strikeouts. And I think that that's what is kind of killing the game is we're approaching uh, a quarter of at-bats that end in strikeouts. And sure, you get more home runs and stuff, but I want to see more balls in play. I want to see, you know, more of that stuff. That's Personally, what I like is balls in play, plays in the outfield, and stuff like that. If you're getting a quarter of your outs via strikeout, then I guess the biggest play issue is did the catcher catch it? Can the runner run fast enough to first base? Does he care? Uh, That's boring, if you're being honest. And if you take, you know, seven or eight pitches to get there, then you're not putting out a product that is growing the game whatsoever. So you take, you, take away the foreign substances, all of a sudden uh, you're having a, a much more aesthetically pleasing game. And uh, I had written all this stuff. And then I was flipping through YouTube and I saw the the Foolish Baseball uh, new clip on this from like three weeks ago. I'm like, oh, damn, we agreed. Um, so I was not stealing this from him. I saw it right before he went to record the podcast because I was like, hey, I can get YouTube on my TV. I should watch these videos that I've been meaning to watch. And then I did. And no, oh, damn. Um, So anyways, uh, coming up on the show, I'm answering a couple of questions. First up, uh, how's the bullpen looking now? Uh, So stay locked in with Locked On A's and I'll be right back. Today's episode is brought to you guys by BetOnline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to place bets on all of the sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA is in full action. College basketball, they got uh, stuff coming up on Sunday, I believe. Isn't it Selection Sunday? I haven't been keeping track. But uh, if you have been, you can bet on that at betonline.ag. They also got the NHL in full swing. Baseball's right around the corner. And BetOnline also covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. They have real-time updated odds and props on almost anything that you can imagine. And BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best place to place your bets. And it's free to sign up. Up, all you got to do is head over to their website at betonline.ag and, or you can even use your mobile device and you can sign up today for a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use the promo code locked on. And that is why they say that Bet Online are your online sports book experts. Today on the Locked On Today podcast on the one year anniversary of the NBA shutting down due to COVID and M- an NCAA team is forced out of the tournament due to a positive COVID test. Get more of the sports news you need in less time with the Locked On Today podcast. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the radio.com app or wherever you get podcasts. And welcome back to the Locked On A's podcast. If you guys are enjoying the show, make sure to subscribe. Uh, follow us on social media at Locked On A's on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at By Jason B on Twitter. If you have any mailbag questions for us, please send those to lockdownathletics at gmail.com. And speaking of your questions, our first question of this mailbag episode comes via Twitter from Cal Bear Canna, which has to be Mark Canna's burner account. And uh, Mark asks, <laughs> I don't know this guy's actual name, so I'm just going to call Mark Canna from now on. So Mark asks, uh, how do you see the bullpen shaking out, looking like a lot of lefties will make the cut with Romo? Do you see the ace turning to an opener again at some point? And question. When I got this question a couple days ago, I was very excited because uh, Nick Turley has not been great. And uh, I, I feel like I have to adjust my on-air roster. And so we're going to get into that Uh But first, I also want to talk about uh, Tuesday was Cole Irvin's second start with the A's. And I'm not going to say that he pitched well because he came on the podcast, but I'm also not throwing that out of the window either. Uh, You come on the podcast, you get a little bit of a rub. So he went three innings, gave up two hits, one run, walked one, and struck out four. That's a pretty solid line. That could get him to Oakland uh, maybe for opening day. We'll talk about it here in a sec, but uh, it's because he came on the podcast. So if you are an Ace player struggling to make the team, please feel free to come on the podcast at any time. I am open. DMs are open. The back to Cole Irvin start. Uh, the second inning gave him a little bit of brief trouble, but he got an inning ending double play to end the inning after allowing an Eric Sogard RBI single. Uh, good job, Sogi. I guess. Uh, nerd power back in full effect. Uh, He came back out in the third inning and struck out Matt Duffy, got an Ian Hapstrike, or a line-out, sorry, and struck out Wilson Contreras. So uh, those are three, I mean, Matt Duffy, less so, I guess, because he's kind of a, a... Middle, you know, quad A guy at this point. But uh, Ian Hap, Wilson Contreras, pretty decent guys. And the only reason I point that out is because he's doing it against Major League Baseball regulars. And that's what you want to see if you're trying to make the team. And in his spring or his five spring innings, he's allowed three hits, a run, a walk, and struck out five. He doesn't throw 97 like Nick Turley, but he can be effective and deliberate with his pitches. And that could end up finding him a home in the A's bullpen, serving as their long man on opening day. And the reason that I think Irvin could be in the mix now is because Nick Turley is struggling really bad. I know spring stats do not matter overall, but he's having trouble with the long ball in his three outings, and it feels like some like it's kind of starting to snowball on him. Uh, and I feel bad, because I really want to see him do well, because he... He has the tools, um, so I, I wanted to go over what happened on that in that Tuesday outing for Nick Turley and kind of set the scene a little bit with what's going on. Uh, in that game on Tuesday, Turley struck out the first batter. He faced Brennan Davis, the Cubs' number two prospect, but who has only played as high as A-ball officially, so he's a highly ranked prospect, doesn't have the experience, so... I don't know necessarily what to make out of that but from there turley had a hard time locating his pitches Uh, the great curveball that he got davis to swing and miss on uh was missing arm side high or buried on the back foot to righties he just was not able to locate that curveball and his fastball command was spotty too The second batter in the inning, Jose Lobotone, got a single uh, to left center. It wasn't hard hit by the looks of it, but it did get a runner on base. And then Nick Turley walked the next batter on four pitches. And uh, three of those were low fastballs. They were right about chin high. And then a curveball that just didn't break. It was just one that uh, hung up too much. Uh, The fourth batter of the inning worked a 3-2 count and then got a bloop single that loaded the bases with what sounded like a broken bat. Might not have been, but it was not hit hard. Uh, the final batter of the inning took a fastball in the middle of the plate and turned on it for a game-winning home run, or a grand slam, as they like to call it. Uh, with Tuesday's outing, Turley spring line is three innings pitched, six innings, eight runs, four home runs allowed, two walks, and five Ks, and that is good for an ERA of 24. And I am not trying to make excuses for Nick Turley's performance on Tuesday afternoon but I do want to point out that it was last year's number one pick for Oakland Tyler Soderstrom that was behind the dish for that final frame and I'm curious I'm not trying to do anything with Soderstrom here but uh, if a more veteran catcher had been back there would they have gone out to the mound to try and calm Nick Turley down just a little bit after that four pitch walk it is when I probably would have thought of it but uh, that that's something that I'm thinking of Again, no excuses. He has to go out there and execute. Um, And again, I'm not trying to demean Sotestrom by any means. Dude is 19 and has a very, very bright future ahead of him. But this is his first camp, and he had also just collected his first hit of his pro career in the top of that inning. And if that was me, I'd be so in my own head excited that I got my first pro hit in spring training in my first camp. And the world is my oyster at 19 at that point. I would be so stoked. So I'm not trying to project onto him, but I think that I am uh so if it seems like I am uh you know trashing them or anything I'm just going with how would I be reacting right now I'm in my first camp I I've only been a few games at this point just got my first hit and uh I'm stoked and maybe how the pitcher's doing right now isn't my biggest issue um so I'm not saying that's what happened I'm saying that's what I would do personally um, anyway, back to how this affects the A's opening day bullpen, and I have been penciling Turley's name into the A's bullpen on opening day since he was acquired because he is out of options, and if he doesn't end up making the team out of spring training, then he would have to be DFA'd to be taken off of the 40-man roster and then make it through waivers for the A's to retain him, and uh, As of right now, it looks like that could be a possibility with how he's been performing, but I also think that he could be a dangerous weapon out of the bullpen if he puts it all together. Obviously, he throws hard at 97 miles an hour from the left side with his fastball, but there's nearly an 18 mile an hour difference between his fastball and his curveball, and if you could locate each each of those pitches, which, I mean, he's 30 now, uh, I don't know how much time he's going to necessarily have to figure it out, but... If he does in the A system, or you know, if he goes to Baltimore or Tampa or wherever, uh, then I think that he's a very dangerous weapon for any team that figures him out or helps him figure things out. And so as of right now, it's looking like a really uphill climb for Nick to make the opening day roster. But if he officially falls out of the mix, then I think that opens the door for a couple of guys, but specifically Cole Irvin, because he's a little bit more versatile than the starters that you're used to seeing. So uh, that could he could give them... Innings if they need it. And I think that they're going to need as many innings as they can get from every pitcher that they got on the roster this year. He could either be a sixth starter on the regular, or he could be an opener, or he could be a long man out of the bullpen. He gives them options in that regard. And all of those are innings eaters. And I think that if he's performing well, why the hell not? Is he necessarily the next man in line in my bullpen? Probably not. I think that he's number two, but uh, because I think that Lou Trovino would be the logical addition to my current bullpen uh, arms, which include uh, Trevor Rosenthal, then you got Sergio Romo, Yuzmero Petit, Jake Diekman, J.B. Wendelkin, Danny Jimenez, the Rule 5 pick, who's also a question mark, and then Adam Kolarik. Those are my seven guys right there, and then Lou Trovino would be the eight, and then if Jimenez, who is a Rule 5 pick, also does not make the opening day squad. Then I think that you're looking at guys like Cole Irvin, Wanderson, Charles. uh, Miguel Romero looks like he's improving a lot. Burt Smith and Jordan Williams are still there. And those could all be the eighth men in the bullpen options. Uh, more or less in that order for me personally. I know that Jordan Weems, uh, people like him a lot and he's been mentioned in articles, which is weird, but I think that somebody like Cole Irvin could bring more to the team than Jordan Weems at this point in the season, just because early on in the season, you want guys that can get innings and guys aren't as stretched out in the rotation as you necessarily need. So you're going to need more innings out of the bullpen. And uh, I think that Cole Irvin would uh, achieve that goal. So, um, yeah, those those are my thoughts on the bullpen right now. Hopefully that helps you out, Mark. And uh, good luck patrolling left field, right field, DH, whatever you're doing this year. Uh, good luck to that. Actually, we're talking about the DH coming up on the show. Who's going to be uh, batting in the DH spot when a lefty starts? That's what we're going over. So stay locked in with Locked On A's and I'll be right back. We've been telling you about Bilt Bar, the best tasting protein bar on the market for a while now. Bilt Bar is the amazing low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, amazing tasting protein bar with 100% chocolate on all bars. Now is the time to find out which belt Bar is the best, because it is belt Bar Madness. We don't have a matchup today, but coming up on Monday, the Sweetest 16 begins, and the first matchup of the Sweetest 16 is Toffee Almond, who knocked off Banana Bread in the first round, going up against Mint Brownie, who got a buy in the first round. And out of those two, I, I think I'm going Mint Brownie. I love mints. I love brownies. Mint Brownie, together, it's delicious. That's my pick. Um, I'm very excited to see which bar actually wins. Uh, there was one for Cherry Barcia, I think yesterday or the day before, and uh, I had to let people know that I was rooting for Cherry Barcia in that round. Uh, did they win? I don't know. I have to go to BiltBar.com and find out who actually won because they have the updated bracket over there. Uh, if you want to vote on these uh, on these matchups, all you got to do is go to BuiltBar.com or you can find them on Twitter at bar underscore built. Uh, That's the reverse of Built Bar. It's Bar underscore Built. And uh, you can find out what the matchups are there. So remember to use the promo code LOCKEDON20 when you go to the website and you get 20% off your next order. That is LOCKEDON20 to get 20% off your next order at BuiltBar.com and check back to see who won today's matchup and who will become the best tasting protein bar in the world. Fantasy Baseball Addicts, you have a new resource to help you get an advantage in your leagues. Locked on Fantasy Baseball is a daily podcast covering fantasy baseball hosted by veteran fantasy analyst Scott Cullen, who uses data and nearly two decades of fantasy baseball experience to offer the strategies and waiver wire pickups that lead to league wins. Season-long fantasy, Dynasty Leagues, DFS, Locked on Fantasy Baseball covers it all. Subscribe to Locked on Fantasy Baseball podcast wherever you get podcasts. Uh, quick side note on this Scott Cullen we we started up a fantasy baseball league for the lockdown host there are 16 teams I have the 16th pick I am not excited Scott Cullen uh, is going to laugh in my face and uh, we're, we're doing that on Sunday, so so if you have any advice for me on how to take down Scott Cullen and the rest of the Locked On hosts, uh, feel free to reach out. I'm thinking uh, pitcher first? I don't know. It's a weird league. It's very rudimentary uh, scoring stats, but anyways, I, I got more to get into. So welcome back to the Locked On A's podcast. Hopefully you guys are enjoying the show. If you are, uh, make sure to hit subscribe and also uh, leave us a rating and a review if, you, if you'd like. I, I'd like it if you did. Um, but yeah. Uh, I, I've got more questions to get into, or one more question to get into. And that next question on the docket comes from uh, at John Del Priore 92 on Twitter. And John asks, who will be getting the majority of the ABs at DH versus lefties? And this is a really interesting question to me because it's something that I've been putting off thinking about, so I actually had to do some research, and my initial inclination was involving having Jed Lowry as the DH and Chad Pender at second base on those days, and uh, if you need to lift Pender, you can just slide Lowry over to second, but then the A's would lose the DH for the whole game, and it would just add a layer of complications to getting the right guy up to bat. So. Um, Basically, I, I switched it to just playing Lowry at second base, having the same effect, uh, with Pender taking swings against righties, and then uh, being able to pinch hit for him as needed uh, with a lefty off the bench, and that's, I think, the best way to go about it if you need to, uh, just because these are matchup-oriented team, and... You don't want to have you. You can do okay with the switch hitting Jed Lowry, but you don't necessarily want Chad Pinder up against left or uh, righties all the time. So you got to find the right matchup uh, at that position. So how can you take him out of the game when you need to? Is basically what I was going through with that. Uh, that all said, I'm not sure that Chad Pinder is necessarily the DH either. So let's get into it. First things first, I just wanna go over how the A's have been against lefties as a team. And uh, as a team, they have been 11% above league average against lefties over the past two seasons. But when you look at it from a player to player level, then it gets a little bit more interesting and uh, it, they got some depth. So that, that's where I'm going with this. And of the guys with more than just a couple of at-bats, Vemi uh only hit 143 against lefties, but he also walked five times to a one strikeout and had a 157 WRC plus in his 12 flight appearances. Uh, is he gonna be on the team? Probably not, but uh, I thought that that was interesting and I wanted to share it with you. It's a really small sample size, but uh, long time listeners know that I will bring up Vimeo Machin whenever I get a chance. And so uh, now that I have, let's go on to some bigger sample sizes from the last couple of seasons. Of the guys still with the club, here are the top performers against lefties over the last two seasons by WRC plus. You got Mark Hanna, at 134, again, everything above 100 is that percentage above league average, so he is 34% above league average against left-handers. Uh, Stephen Piscotti, 125. Matt Chapman, 119. Ramon Laureano, 110. Sean Murphy, 108. And Matt Olsen, a lefty, 100. He is league average against lefties, and that is fine with me. If you throw in Lowry's career 110 in there, or even his 101 from 2018 when he was last healthy, then there's another solid bet. Chad Pinder wasn't too far off the pace from league average either with a 95 WRC plus, which means that he was 5% below league average. And that's roughly 20 points better than the output that Elvis Andrews put up over the last two seasons against lefties. So maybe we could see if they're going for offensive output and trying to, you know, get Elvis Andre some days off. Maybe we could see Jed Lowry and uh, Chad Pender as a combo for shortstop second base. Uh, I assume that you would have Pinder at shortstop just because health isn't as big of a question mark with him. Uh, That's my guess. Um, I don't know that that's going to be a regular thing, but it could be something that we see on occasion. Um, And for what it's worth, Mitch Moreland hit lefties pretty all right in his career. He's just been way better against righties, which is why he is seen as a platoon guy that hits against righties. Um, I know that that does not answer the question whatsoever, but I think that the answer is going to be that there isn't going to be a lineup that is going to be set from the get go. I think that it will depend a lot on who's swinging a hot bat and how each guy handles the arsenal of that day's pitcher and stuff like that. If uh, you know uh, the guy has a good breaking ball, as I talked about uh, a week or two ago, Chad Pender can hit breaking balls really well, and I think that you would want him in the lineup on that game. But if uh, it's fastballs or something else that Chad Pender struggles with, then you're like, okay, well, maybe we go with Mark Canna here, and then we play somebody else who's swinging a hot bat in the outfield. But my general lineup, in no particular order, this is not, you know, batting first, uh, but my general order would be. Uh, Sean Murphy, Matt Olson, Jed Lowry, Elvis Andrews, uh, Matt Chapman, Chad Pender, Mark Canna, Ramon Laureano, and Stephen Biscotti in the lineup on those days with Pinder in left and then the three regular outfielders getting a day at DH. Uh, they could just rotate that. It doesn't necessarily matter, but if it were up to me, I'd probably use Stephen Piscotty at DH a little bit more often because of his injury history and the way that he hits lefties is something that you want in the lineup. You don't want him on the IL. So I think that you got to protect Stephen Piscotty just a little bit uh, when you can, at the very least, because there's not a ton of left-handed starting pitchers outside of Seattle. So basically, uh, when Seattle comes to town, this is going to be a very interesting question. Um And I'm looking forward to seeing how they do against Seattle uh, for the whole season. And if you're really thinking about it, you could probably uh, have Jet Lowry over at DH for the same keeping him healthy concerns. And it feels like there are a lot of factors that could go into who will play DH on a given day. But we can be fairly certain that Tony Kemp, the backup catcher, whether that's uh, Armas Garcia or Austin Allen, and the lefty hitting outfielder uh, will not be in the lineup on most of those game days. So it's going to be some kind of uh, smattering of these guys. One of them will get a day off, and one of them will not. So, uh, if you want to throw a wrinkle in there, though, Buddy Reed and Skybolt are both switch hitters. And if either of them makes the team as that fourth outfielder, then that could become an option as well to uh, really spice things up. So hopefully that answered your question, John. I know that it was a little bit all over the place, but I think that there's not going to be a set lineup necessarily. It's There's a lot of different factors that go into it, uh, and they've got a lot of good options. So uh, that's... All that I got for you guys today, I'm going to be answering more questions on Monday. Uh, I'm going to try and figure out this locker room app as well over the weekend. So that should be a lot of fun. And currently right now, it only works for uh, iOS devices, so Apple products. Um, So if you have an Apple or an iPhone, um, download the app and... Find me at by Jason B on the Locker Room app, and uh, we'll start having some voice-to-voice conversations. Should be a lot of fun. I'm very excited to get some of those. uh, You know, if there's like a big home run or a big walk-off or something like that, I'm like, hey, let's talk about it like right now. That's the episode that I'm going to put out for you guys. So you guys can hear it live. It's like a live podcast, uh, hopefully. So uh, let's uh, build a little bit of a community on that app. So uh, that's all that I got for you guys today. Again, I'm answering questions on Monday. So until then, stay indoors and celebrate good times, Oakland. Keep wearing those masks, and I will talk at you next week.